Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, severinrun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. Well, good morning, Severn Run. I hope the extra hour of sleep uh, was put to good use. How many of y'all stayed up an hour later because you could? <laughs> Several, all right. Today, uh, we are going to talk about one of the most critical aspects of your, your God life um, that there is, and it has to do with, with the size of your God. Um, sometimes in life, we get stuck. And we forget that there truly are turning points, that the only time we're stuck is when we turn away from, from God. But today, each of us, in some form or fashion, is at a crossroads. And from this point forward, life can get better or it can get worse. You can love more or love less. You can be more filled with joy or with resentment and anger. You can draw closer to God and his love or walk farther away. It's a turning point. And the choices we make are more important than the circumstances that we live in. Today I want to talk about when small gets big. And we're going to try to figure out this big small thing. And I, I think that, um, that when you leave today, you'll be thinking differently than when you came in about what's big and what's small. I want to uh, lead you into a story in Matthew chapter 15 verses 29 through 39. And it is kind of the second uh, mass feeding of Jesus. Um, and, and we've got to ask ourselves why, what's, what's the point of this event? Just that Jesus did a buffet 2000 years ago. I mean, what, what does that have to do with me? How does that impact my life? What is God saying to, to my world? But listen deeply, if you will, Jesus left there and went along the sea of Galilee and then he went up on a mountainside. And he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame and the blind, the crippled and the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Just use your imagination. God created you in his image, and he gave you an imagination to use to perceive him. What does that look like to you? The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people, for they've already been with me three days, and they have had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven and a few small fish. And he told them to sit on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. So 4,000 males, at least 
four to five thousand, six thousand women, and then all the children of, of the families. And after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got in the boat and went to the vicinity down to, to Magadan. One of the things I want to remind you just as we think about how to do church and be church, because we're not here just to maintain, we're not here just to, uh, you know, to be a, uh, a consumable for, um, you know, religious observers. We have zero interest in that. But at the end of every story we've read in Matthew, Jesus gets back out on the road <clears throat> and he creatively reveals the love of the Father through his life as a son in the power of the Spirit. He's always intentionally going out from where he is to meet new people, to touch uh, more brokenness, uh, to reveal more of, of the Father. He's always on mission. And, and the reality is that the world will be changed when the church standing still gets back on the road like Jesus. We, we talk about America, and, and we are all so worried about whether Clinton or Trump will be president. I think we should be more worried about whether Jesus Christ will be Lord of this nation. Because it is not the Democrats or the Republicans who are going to save our country. It is Jesus Christ, his blood, his life. He is the one who gives eternal life. And, and faith is living Jesus-centered and God-confident in a world-changing way. So we can be religious and be a standing still kind of a church um, and, and fret and worry about the world, or we can be like Jesus and follow him out into a broken world, uh, get off our own uh, self-centered agendas, give ourselves away, and watch Jesus change and redeem a broken world. Those are our choices. Those are the turning points. And, and I just want to remind you that this is not a dress rehearsal for, for reality. This is it. This is your one shot at life. If any of you all ever played sports and, and had a big game in high school or, or middle school or college, um, you can't go back and do that again. This is the big game. And, uh, and, and whether we choose to get in it and give it our all or sit on the sidelines um, of, of the mission of redemption means everything. I want to share with you that your biggest problem in life is not what you think it is. It's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your income, it's not your kids, um, it's not your past, it's, it's not even your future. Your biggest problem and my biggest problem is that our God is too small. You see, small God people shut God out of daily life, uh, calling on him only for the big things, you know, the kind of 911 things, the stuff that they can't handle. The problem is that broken people are, are broken and everything they handle gets broken. And, uh, and it's arrogant to think that we can handle any of life without God in every moment. Small God people uh, use God to further a self-centered life. God, give me this. God, make me that. And it's all me, 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 me with a little God worked in to, to get what I want. That's, that's small God and it's, it's really no God. Big God people let the infinite God reveal himself in every little thing. And they watch little things become big things. They watch ordinary moments become eternal ones. Big God people are driven by God's mission to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you that you have a big God. And that your, your problems and my problems are relatively small in the grand scheme of things. If you and I could 
could grasp God the infinite, I think we would worry less about this moment and about, um, about even our pain. If we could grasp how big and able and willing God is, God could be big and God could be able, but if God were unwilling, we would be no better. But Jesus shows how willing love is. And if God the infinite were our daily reality, this world would be changed. Let's pretend this is the earth. Somewhere on this is you. Can, can you find yourself? Let me just tell you, I, I, I think there's a, let, let me see if I can show you a, a little better way. Louis Giglio did a, did a great job of kind of explaining sort of how big our creator God is. Let's take a look. This is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the Earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15-foot diameter sun. It's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. It's huge, and we're worshiping a star-breathing God tonight. But I want to tell you about the second star, okay? Because the second star absolutely wrecked my life. I heard about it when I was a high school student here in Atlanta. One of our youth leaders did a talk, and he mentioned this star. I didn't know how to talk to God for about two months after I heard about this star. It's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. You can pick your pronunciation. I'm obviously going with Betelgeuse, and Betelgeuse is incredible. Here it is in the night sky. I know it doesn't look incredibly ferocious, but it's 427 light years away. So that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles away from us right now. Draw it in a little closer with the Hubble Space Telescope, and you can start to get a little bit of the feeling of its intensity. But this is the crazy thing about Betelgeuse. Are you ready for this? Betelgeuse is twice the size. Are you ready? You think I'm going to say twice the size of the sun? Oh, no. It's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun, Betelgeuse is. It's crazy. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Beetlejuice would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. No, come on. Have you seen the Empire State Building? <laughs> I mean, maybe what you're going to need to do is gather the family, get a golf ball, get some plane tickets, and fly up to New York. And you're going to go into Midtown, you're going to take your golf ball and put it on the sidewalk outside the Empire State Building. Don't worry about people thinking you're crazy. They're not even going to notice you in New York. You're going to go across the street. You're going to look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more Empire State Buildings on top of the Empire State Building. That's Beetlejuice, and that's the earth, and somewhere you're on it. 
You could fit 262 trillion Earths inside Beetlejuice. So if the Earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls. 3,000 times. When I heard that as a teenager, that stumped me right there. Because most of my praying had been advising God, correcting God, <laughs> suggesting things to God, drawing diagrams for God, reviewing things with God, counseling God. The third star, let's just, can you go a little bit bigger with me? The third star is called Musifi. Here it is in the night sky. It's that gold star to the top left. We, we have the big image of it. It's 3,000 light years away, but I just want you to see it in the, in the span of all these little glittering stars so that you know that at times when you look up at night, it is not just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm telling you what you are. What you are is intense and huge and massive and ferocious is what you are. And, and this one used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. Apparently, you're going to need to go from New York to the West Coast. Go to San Francisco with your family and your golf ball. Place your golf ball at the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge. Go across the bay into Oakland to a high place where you can see the entire Golden Gate Bridge. Another second Golden, Break, Golden Gate Bridge will be in your imagination. Span all the way back the two Golden Gate Bridges to the very beginning and find your golf ball over there. That's the earth and somewhere you're on it. One of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. Thank you so much. Where have you been all night? Now, quadrillion we have not talked about, and I need to explain this just briefly because I don't know about you, but I do not understand the national debt or any numbers bigger than about $875.28. I get that number. Go bigger than that, I don't know. But you need to understand a quadrillion, okay, because this star is crazy big. A quadrillion, uh, let's do it this way. Everybody knows a million, right? How many you know what a million is? You can kind of get your head around a million. Everybody? All right. You know that a billion is a thousand million and a trillion is a thousand billion and a quadrillion is a thousand trillion, right? Everybody knew that? Here's the perspective. This changed my life, right? A million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Isn't that cool? See, that saves you doing that on your little calculator at home, which I dare you to try to do when you get home tonight. But a billion seconds ago? You're thinking, oh, my goodness, if it's 12 days ago, I'm going all the way back to, like, September with you, Louie. This must be crazy, right? How about May 1975 <laughs> is a billion seconds ago. You're like, whoa, that's a little bit bigger than a million. Oh, yeah. A trillion seconds ago, you're like, uh-huh, I'm on the 1800s. <laughs> no. Christopher Columbus? No. 29,700 B.C. is a trillion seconds ago. A quadrillion seconds ago, 
30,800,000 years ago is a quadrillion seconds ago. We're talking about a really large number, and Musifi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. But it is not even the biggest star we have found. I love science. And science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh, wow. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Thank you. You just saved your family plane fare from California to Kathmandu, Nepal. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet, and I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth, that's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by, little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention, Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, W. Sifi. Majoris. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie 
and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun, you couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a, a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory and awe who is, there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. This is going to represent earth, all right? So this is where we are. That, that is the reality we find ourselves in. And, and Louis mentioning that, that sin uh, really completely reverses and, and distorts the big, small reality. So that our problem seems so big and our God seems so small. And that is so absolutely backwards. Our biggest problem is that our God is too small. But the truth is, there is a turning point that comes in life for some people, not for everyone. The simple reality is that most people will continue to live life deceived, blind to the greater reality of who God is and how God loves and what God wants to do to send us out into a broken world. Because remember, the purpose of your life is not comfort on planet Earth. It is not getting more stuff. It is not retiring as wealthy as you can. The purpose of your life is to be sent out as Christ into a broken world. So that other people might know that Jesus died for them. That's the purpose of your life. And the turning point comes when, when we see how infinitely big God is. You see, when we see God as infinite, our small, our lack, our don't have, our can't, just simply becomes irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. Because it's not about us anymore. You see, I want to talk to you real quickly about a phrase we don't use a lot, a word we don't use a lot, and that is uh, glory. You know, we, we don't think about glory much, but glory um, has to do with fame, it has to do with reputation, it has to do with, with greatness, um, it has to do with uh, ability, um, but but. Most of us are, are living for, for our own glory. That, that's what we're about. And, and we're here on earth to secure our own place, our own safety, our own name, our own comfort. Our, it's about us. And, and you need to realize that until you're living consciously for the glory of God... You're living unconsciously for your own glory. And, and when we're living for, more, for our own glory, then what it's built on is my own efforts and, and my own talents, uh, my own resources in life, you know, what I've got. And, and if I have enough talents and I put enough effort, then I'll, I'll have great glory. 
And this is the story of athletes and singers and, and other successful people. You know, if I, if I just have enough, enough resources, financial and otherwise, and, and work hard enough, I'll, I'll, I'll have glory. But, but God's glory is, is very different. God's glory uh, works in a completely different economy, uh, in a completely different scale when, when, it, when it comes to us. God's glory is, is built upon Upon his power, his ability, his, his um, wisdom and will. And, and then God's glory is built upon our surrender. That's the issue. And so every life of I can't and I'm not enough and every, light, uh, every life of, of resentment and, and being down and depressed because of what I don't have and, and what I can't do and, 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 and how ugly I am or, or on and on the list goes of, of our lack of resources. It all goes out the window when you stop living for your own glory. Because in the kingdom of God, our weakness becomes a vehicle for the strength of God. That's, that's very clearly what the scripture teaches. Um, you know, Paul asked God three times to take away the thorn in the flesh. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Because in your weakness, my, my strength is revealed. When we stop living for our own glory, we stop being limited by our own abilities and our own efforts. And we get to begin to live by the power of God, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we get to, to offer and realize that the main thing that we do in life is offer God our surrender. So, so, you know, honestly, um, I, 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 I hear people from time to time, and everybody does, you know, in their own, you, you hear people, you know, say what you're not and what you don't have and, and, and what you, you know, you, the criticisms. That's great. I got nothing but Jesus. And so I don't worry about anything else because he's enough. Amen? Amen. And so, so when we see God as infinite, our small is irrelevant. It just absolutely is. And I believe that's exactly the meaning of this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's, it's not a random event that occurred 2,000 years ago that, that makes you happy for some other people who got a free, free lunch. There's so much more to the story. You see, in the story, Jesus um, says, you know, as he calls his disciples, you know, I have compassion for these people. They've been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. The truth is, most of us live in a, a, a drought of, of true love and true nurture in our lives. And, and when you live um, with, with um, a thirst and a hunger for love, it's very difficult for hungry people to feed hungry people. But when you have been filled with the love of God, it is, it is, it is not only easy, it is absolutely inevitable that you will pour out in love for other people. And so, so the God of the universe who took on flesh and walked among us filled with all the infinite love of the Father looked around at broken people and said, I have got compassion on these people. They are hurting. They have needs. And I'm going to give my life away to meet their needs. And so, so the turning point is that we see human need with divine compassion in the world around us. The turning point is when we refuse to be stopped by earthbound thinking and what is and isn't possible. Uh, you know, Jesus, you know, um, cast this vision of compassion to the people around him. And immediately, what's he get? Negative. 
where in the world are we going to find food to, to feed all these people? I served in one church and we had a, uh, I think he was a dentist, but I don't even remember his name. His name to us was Dr. No. Because whatever the church was going to attempt, the answer was? No. Any of you parenting like that? Uh, you know, I mean, seriously, that's the way many of us live in, in life. It's like any time that the Holy Spirit inspires something that is more than earthbound, there is this loud voice inside of us and something sometimes coming outside of us that says, no, that's not possible. Can I remind you where you live? Somewhere, if you got if you got the tip of, of, of a, a, a pin and put on that, still would be infinitely bigger than, than you and I are. Who are we to tell God what is and isn't possible? And the reality is that that we as a church, um, we ought to be a people who have compassion on this broken world around us. You know, we don't want to be just a bunch of religious people sitting, uh, you know, our backsides in seats once a week and checking a box and thinking we've done something. We've done nothing until we've, we've taken the love that God has given us and it's broken our heart. And then we are poured out in a broken world, loving people who are like us and unlike us, loving people who are near and far from us. Having compassion, do we even see the brokenness anymore or are we so overwhelmed by all the brokenness and all the evil and all the wrong in the world that we can't even look at it anymore? We don't even see it. It's the homeless person that we step uh, over in D.C. Or, or Baltimore City. It's the person broken down on the side of the road in the car that, that we drive by and, and pretend somebody will come and help them. It's, it's the people at work who don't fit in and who aren't popular and who don't, who don't quite have, you know, what it takes to be, you know, socially acceptable and successful that, that, that you join in and walk by. I mean, Jesus looked at people and he had compassion. Guys, we, we want to be a church that, that, that sees 300 lives changed by the gospel and, and are baptized on our way to seeing 500 as a church of 5,000. It's not about being a mega church or anything else. If you've got some other plan to save the world, then, then great. But don't just talk about it. You go do it. But until you come up with some better plan, this is what we're going to do. There are 3.8 million people living within a 25-mile radius of this place. 3,855,676, 77, 78, 79. It's growing amazingly. And, and of the, we have about 1,278 people who, who attend on average. And, and, and the current percentage that we're reaching of that 3.8 million is, point, is 0. 0.00033. Wow, go God! Yay us! And when we become a church of 5,000 and are leading 5,000 precious broken people to discover their worth in an infinite God, we will be reaching 0.0013% of this entire population. And some say we're aiming too high. God forgive us for thinking you so small. 
You see, Jesus wasn't about to be stopped by earthbound thinking, where are we going to go find food in this remote place to feed all of these people? In Luke 18, 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. We serve God the infinite. Not God the weak and God the small and God the ignorant and God the uncaring. We serve an infinite God who is infinite in all of his attributes, his goodness, his mercy, his compassion, his wisdom, his forethought, his grace and provision. They're all infinite in every direction and the size of, the, of this galaxy uh, amidst a, a universe that is even bigger is, is, is not even to scale of the size of our God. He is infinitely bigger in every direction. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? You in your own life, the struggles of, of the needs not being met in your own, in your own family or, or, or your own finances, you need to, to ask um, yourself that question, is anything too hard for the Lord, the God of all mankind? Or is he big enough to take care of me. See, the truth is we start where we are with what we have, throwing our small at the impossible with a big God faith. That's, that's how we do life. That's the turning point. We don't wait until we're ready. We don't wait until we've got it all together. We don't wait until we see the resources provided. We have to move towards the broken. We have to, to attempt the impossible here and now, just like Jesus. How many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Well, in most of our lives and most of our churches, that'd be enough to shut the whole conversation down. Bam, proven it. We don't have enough. Seven loaves and some fish nuggets. We're not, we're, we're done. Point made. Case closed. Bam. But not with Jesus. Jesus looks at um, that lunch and says, that's enough. Hey, hey, Jesus, there's, there's about twelve to 15,000 people here. And in case you can't count, that ain't enough. <laughs> well, that's perfectly true when you leave God out of the equation. That's perfectly true when you're working in your own power and in your own strength. But when you begin to trust God, when the turning point is that you turn away from a world based on your glory and, and begin to seek a, a world uh, and a kingdom based in the glory of God, you're not operating on your own resources and abilities anymore. Now you're operating in the realm of the power of, of an infinite God. And now the key is your surrender to believe and to throw your inadequacy at the impossible, expecting uh, the inevitable success of God. And so, and so Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and they in turn gave them to the people. I wonder what the basket looked like. You know, you, you got one basket and there's, there's one half of a loaf in it. You know, all the other 12 disciples are walking in different directions and you got a little, you know, a fish nugget in the bottom and you walk up to a family, you know, of, of 12 and you're like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know how this is going to win. You just sort of, you know, you walk up to the basket almost apologetic and you, okay, here, reach in. And a little kid reaches in. You know how little kids, they always take the smallest piece, right? Reaches in and grabs the whole half loaf and, and pulls it out. And you're going, oh, this is going to be 
bad for Jesus. How are we going to PR recover from this, you know? And then the little sister reaches in and she grabs a whole loaf. You're going, what? <laughs> and then everybody reaches in all together and they pull out all that they can eat. And you look in the basket and there's still a half loaf and a little piece of fish. And you walk to the next crowd sitting on the ground and you see the same thing happen again and again and again and again. And when it's all over, there were seven baskets left over and seven in the scriptures, the Old Testament for, for a Jew was a, was a symbol of completeness, of, of fullness. You see, we are called to live with an abundance mentality in joyful gratitude, not with a scarcity mentality in fearful resentment. And all that I can give away does not leave less for me. It is just a matter of God pouring more into me. I cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. It is not possible. And the way that this works is that we let ourselves be broken. And we let ourselves be offered to the world for the glory of God just as Christ was. And contrary to what you see on TV, our offering and our brokenness may be ugly. It may be painful. It might be as, as embarrassing as hanging naked on a cross. It may not be popular. It may be being in agony while people hurl insults at you. but an infinite God knows what he's doing. Guys, if we don't engage the brokenness in our neighborhoods, in our families, in ourselves, in Baltimore City, in Curtis Bay, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Park, if we don't engage the brokenness around us, I don't even know if we've got a small God. I don't think we've got a God at all. Because the Jesus who broke that bread that night, do you remember? Do you remember him breaking the bread? Do you, do you know what he saw when he broke that bread? He saw his will and his life torn apart and given to God so that God could make it infinitely more than it ever would have been had Jesus kept his life for himself. The turning point for us as a church and for you as individuals is whether you're going to keep your life back for yourself. Whether you're going to live the stupid lie that life is about sex or life is about fame or reputation or money or owning stuff that's going to be in the junkyard in a generation. If that's what you're about, God help you. And the coffin is going to reveal the emptiness of everything you lived for. Or there's Jesus. And when we see God as infinite, our small becomes irrelevant. And what we don't have and what we can't do, we don't have the money to do any of this. We don't have the resources, the wisdom. Um, we don't have anything to do all this. I don't care. When we were a church of 200 and something people, we, we chose to believe that God wanted to save the world. And, and we... We started an impossible project, and it's not about money, it's not about buildings, but in that sense, there was a church of a couple hundred people, of average middle-income people starting an, an eight-and-a-half to nine million dollar project. We didn't worry about it. We had $300,000 in the bank. 
We were on the road for, for six or seven years in three different high schools. It's like, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. Guys, when we see God as infinite, we touch broken with glory. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen love at work. You've seen love quiet a child. I've seen a teacher at school um, just wrap their arms around a, a, a broken child with hell in their home. And in that moment, there was a glimpse of glory revealed. Anytime the love of Jesus touches the broken of life, there is glory. Great crowds, verse 30 says, came to him bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute and the others. We live in a broken world. Some is visible, most is not. And for all those who are not blind of eye, there is a blindness of soul. To all those who, who are not mute in body, there is, um, there is just a, an isolation in heart. There is so much darkness and loneliness and, and hell in, in our, our lives apart from God. God has compassion. And all these people were laid at his feet and Jesus healed them. And that's what we're called to do to the broken world around us. What does that look like when you're out-resourced and outgunned and, and the impossible is around and, and, you know, you don't have and you can't and you on and on and on? You turn to an infinite God and you throw your inadequate at the impossible and you watch glory. Take a look. Ya Tomás dicho mi nombre es María. Entonces en el 96 yo vine aquí a este lugar con un propósito de buscar personas para trabajar eh, secularmente. Pero sí me gustaba eh, siempre desde que me convertí trabajar con niños, pero con niños que con niños pobres. Me encontré con que aquí había muchos niños. Fue como si el propósito de, de venir acá cambiara en ese momento, porque yo le pedí a ellos mismos que me apoyaran, que si me apoyaban, yo comenzaba a trabajar aquí. Impulsó a invitar aquí al, a, a las personas que estaban conmigo a trabajar con los niños. Pero si algo teníamos en la visión y era este terreno. Porque esta, este terreno era como el lugar más más importante porque era por donde caminaba la gente y pasaba hacia el barrio. Y nosotros pues nos enamoramos de este lugar y, y, y caminaba, orábamos. Pero era un terreno que no sabíamos quién era el propietario. Entonces él nos dijo, bueno, yo tengo por experiencia que cuando uno, ustedes lo que tienen que hacer, porque a él le pasó algo similar. Y al otro día, pues ya apareció el dueño. Entonces yo le expliqué cuál era la razón. Le dije, mira, es que en ese lugar hay muchos niños que, que andan deambulando y, 
nosotros hemos visto ese terreno ahí, no está haciendo nada y lo hemos tomado, no es para nosotros, es para trabajar. Entonces él sí se dio, dijo, no, no, porque dice ahí. Y comenzamos a trabajar aquí. Y si no me cabe duda, porque yo le puse la señal al señor, yo le dije, señor, si, si este terreno verdaderamente tú no lo vas a dar, yo voy a llamar al ingeniero, se llama Gilberto Reynoso. Y yo voy a llamar, si él mismo coge el teléfono, yo sé que ya ese terreno. Entonces, precisamente, él tomó el teléfono cuando yo lo llamé. Le hablamos, le hablé que no teníamos mucho dinero para comprar. Él nos lo, nos lo puso bastante cómodo, pero cuando nos dio el precio, yo le dije, bueno, mire, ahora esto es para la obra de Dios, se le toca darle el 10% a Dios. Entonces él pues nos hizo otra después. Teníamos como el ordenido, luego, entonces ya a medida que iba pasando los, 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 los años, pues íbamos subiendo de grado. Es decir, nosotros nos registramos en el año 2000, 2004 y en el 2009 ya nosotros teníamos 250 niños. Eh, pero eh, nuestro testimonio es que Dios ha estado con nosotros porque nosotros comenzamos aquí sin ningún recurso. La mi visión de, era, no era estar en una iglesia sentada, sino era trabajando con la gente. Pero estoy agradecida de Dios por lo que hago. Cada día le digo al Señor que quiero dar lo mejor de mí. This is our partnership in the Dominican Republic, and this, this is the spirit of, of what is possible when you just trust an infinite God. So what I want you to do at this turning point in your life is to let your small be big in somebody else's life. And to get busy giving your small to the world that God loves in Jesus' name. This is our call. This is the reason we're on planet Earth. And today, as your response, I want you to make a turning point decision. Do you serve a small God or an infinitely big God? Is your life going to be about your glory or the glory of God? And today, would you be willing to lay down all of your inadequacies and all your, your excuses and your can'ts and, and just offer God your surrender that, that he might have your life to change the world? The altar will be open for surrender. The cross is there for declarations. Uh, this is a day that we begin to decide who we will be and how big our God truly, truly is. Let's stand and let's respond. Thank you for joining us today at the Church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland. We look forward to worshiping with you.